Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real people, real stories, real hope. I happen to be your humble host. My name is Sean Davis. And you're along with me as we try to help people feel better about their circumstances. We try to engender, we try to create, we try to spark that little bit of hope in people's lives by sharing real stories from people that have been through the fire people that have overcome, people that have met the challenges of their life, risen above those challenges, and endeavored to create a new, better life for themselves. And we think their stories are a lamppost, a light for you to follow on the path of hope and uh, change, changing your life. And today is going to be no different. I, I feel a little uncomfortable. I'm flying blind without my, my ever-present partner, my beautiful wife, Jen, and uh, she just had a conflict today, a scheduling issue with the kids, and so I'm flying solo today, but I'm excited, excited for today's interview. I get to have a chance to talk with Jenny Powers, best-selling author, motivational speaker, transformational life coach. She's the founder of The Empowered Woman and the creator of The Empowered Woman Experience. She also authored the book, Empowered the Woman's Guide to Following Your Heart, and uh, she's also an experienced certified life coach. And so along those lines, I wanted to bring her on today, and today's discussion is going to be about her life, about a very, very challenging time and experience in her life. And I think what I want to encourage you to do as you listen to her story is just think about today's world, think about social media, think about the culture of comparison, think about what that does to people's self-esteem or lack thereof. And I think that this interview is a really, really powerful interview in today's culture on that subject about how we view ourselves and the critical eye of social media and everything that that might do to somebody's body image, impressions, etc. So um, I'm excited to get her on the line. So I'm going to call her right now and we're just going to get into it right away. I'm going to phone Jenny. Here we go. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show, Jenny Powers. Welcome to Hope Radio Podcast. How are you today? I am great, Sean. I am thrilled to be here. I'm completely honored to be a guest. I love the work that you do in the world. I think it's so important for all of us to kind of share our journey and our story. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and um, I'm excited. Oh, thank you so much for that. And yeah, sh- sowing hope. That's what we're doing, right? We're sharing personal stories and sowing hope into the world, hoping that people uh, hear what we're talking about and maybe get inspired, maybe get hope filled with what they're dealing with in their own life. So I, I, I'm just excited to chat with you. But for the benefit of our audience, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Where do you live? Where do you call home? You married? You got any kids? Tell us the details. So I... Yeah, I live in New York City. I'm originally from um, a very small town called Medway outside of Boston. Um, I live in New York City. I have a boyfriend who has two little boys that are eight and five. So I'm sort of a stepmom-ish. Very unexpected stepmom-ish. was definitely very clear on my life, not getting married, not having kids. So as we learn, this journey um, evolves and some unexpected things come. And so I am learning as I go, but honored to be involved in their lives. And yeah, I lived in LA for about eight years, lived in New York before that. So I kind of bounced around, but kind of think I'm in New York to stay now. Uh, it's New York to stay. I'm in a New York state of mind. I think there's a song that goes something like <laughs> right. that, right? Yeah. Something. We definitely. have an upcoming trip uh, that we do. So our, we have four boys and my oldest is 25 and then I've got a 24 year old and then uh, it goes 17 and 15. And so it's kind of been a rite of passage for us and our family to take our kids to New York individually. Wow, I you love know? that. So we took our oldest and our second oldest. And so this year is the, uh, the time for us to take our third child, Brayden, who 
will turn 18 uh, in May. And so we're going to take him out to uh, New York and show him. He's a big, tra- like he loves trading, like online trading. So he wants to go to Wall Street. He wants to see the New York Stock Exchange. He wants to take a picture by the bull and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're super excited to take him out there. So This is the place. New York has plenty of um, tourist experience for everybody, <laughs> um, which is, I think, one of the, you know, the brilliant parts of New York. There, every, around every corner, there's a new experience. Um, and I just think it's, you know, it's a city full of people. And I think that, you know, I love your podcast in terms of providing hope. I think New York is definitely a city that, that needs some hope. I think as everyone has gone through a hard time, hard time in COVID, you know, we're a city, we kind of live on top of each other. And so I think it's, it's been challenging. And so I'm excited to kind of get the city back to, to kind of what it was. It's getting there. Um, and, you know, excited to have tourists back and all that stuff. I think Broadway is back and running. So you can sort of feel the heartbeat of New York coming back. I think a lot of people are, are very eager and very excited to see things starting to at least trend in the direction toward what we would call normal pre-COVID. And yeah, we're yeah. super excited about that uh, journey and um, glad that COVID didn't stop us from doing this because there is a you know four and a half year difference between our second child and the third child. You know, it didn't it didn't stop us from um, celebrating this personal family right of, of passage. So we're excited. So when I'm out there, I may I may shoot you a hello and say say hi. I would like love that. it. I would <laughs> love it. I'm, I'll be here. All right, awesome. <laughs> well, you know the the matter at hand that the reason for our call today is to talk about hope, and um, you shared offline a bit about your story, and I was very intrigued by it, and I felt like um, it's it's a story, especially in today's comparison, social media culture, you, you know, I think people feel judged or they feel like they have to have an expectation of, of how they come across or how they're viewed or how they look or whatever. And, you know, as you told your story offline to me, I just felt like, man, this is going to be a story in today's age with, with uh, social media, et cetera, that I think is going to really, really resonate with a lot of people. And so I'll let you unpack it where you would like to begin, because ultimately it is your story to share. And so uh, go ahead and begin wherever you want to begin. But I want to get into some of these hope nuggets that you shared with me uh, offline. Can't wait to share some of them with uh, our listening audience. Yeah, I would absolutely love to. And I think as, as you and I talked offline, my story has become one kind of that I never thought I'd share or tell. A little bit about me. I am from, as I said, a small town in Massachusetts. I am the oldest child of an oldest child. My dad is a high school geometry teacher, perfectionism, right, wrong, all that stuff. I was very much raised with in loving ways, very high standards, but it was, you know, life was graded in grades and black and white and this and that. And so I think I was someone who was very driven. I still am, but had a definitely a standard of perfection that if I'm perfect, then I'm loved. If I'm perfect, then I'm safe. If I'm perfect, then, um, you know, everything I'm, I'm a worthy human being. I'm a you know worthy child. And then went on to sort of take that as my standard as an adult. And so for me, um, I've sort of, as I mentioned, lived a bunch of places, traveled the world, was an investment banker, an actress, um, director of sales and marketing, and then kind of was living this life where I was in LA and I was there. I'd been in a relationship for a number of years that I sort of thought would last. And then unfortunately my boyfriend didn't feel the same way. (laughs) I sort of woke up one morning and this man who I sort of thought I would be with had different thoughts. And so my life changed very quickly. And so I was in LA kind of healing from that breakup and was having a conversation with my dad one day and you know, had this life that was very good and kind of a good LA life. And my dad said, but it sounds like, you know, what you're doing doesn't feel important to you. And that word important changed my entire life. Not, well, I'm 
This is not a seven hour podcast, so I will try to keep this short, (laughs) but, um, you know, that word forever changed my life. And so I sort of looked at my life in LA and I sort of thought, you know, this, this life doesn't feel important to me. And so I packed up my life. I put everything in my car, I put my car on a flatbed, shipped it across the country, moved back in with my parents and sort of said, you know, what's important in this world. And Before, I but, let me ask you a question, though, before you move on. Sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt. I, I want to go back to no, something no, no. because it, it was something that uh, you'd said. And I'm, I'm interested in your take on it, because what you had said for, was you'd come from a family. You know, you're the oldest of an oldest son. Yeah. And you'd come from a family that had very high expectations. And I recently, you know, put, posted on my social media post. I, I said something about expectations because I, too, am somebody that has very high expectations, not only of myself, mm-hmm. but people that I'm, I'm around and ultimately of, of my children as well. And right. uh, as I've aged, I've, I've now been a little bit more reflective. And I think that sometimes those high expectations have done undue damage. You know, in other words, I think that having high expectations make you, makes you awesome in business, makes you awesome in a, in a professional life, but it can have damaging effects depending on the degree to which you implement it or, or what those standards are in your interpersonal relationships and in your family relationships. So as you reflect back on that, that time, that formative time of being raised and you're the oldest, et cetera, and these high expectations, you know, do you think that they served you well or do you think that in some ways what we're going to talk about today is a product of those high expectations. Oh, I definitely think it's a product. I mean, I think that, you know, my parents, and again, as someone who's always wanted to heal and to get to the truth and connect to my emotions and, you know, be the best woman that I can be. I've had many conversations with my parents about that feeling like, you know, there was so much pressure and, and I love that you share sort of from your perspective. And then, you know, as you have these four children now that you're raising and, my parents always said, I have a younger sister, and they said, you know, we wanted every single door to be open to you. And so we wanted to push you, and, and kind of that was the approach. However, I think that you're exactly right. I think that I am someone, I just turned 45 years old, and I, to this day, I don't think I've ever had a day where I'm good enough. I mean, I'm now, like, a mom, a basically a wife-ish, running a household, like, building a company, a friend, a daughter, a sister, an aunt, like, as we all are, right? We're all wearing a million hats, and every morning I would say, wake up. And it's like, but I didn't really do that. But I didn't really do that. So I think I am someone who is forever chasing those high standards. And at 45, I'm the only one really kind of imposing those. And so for me, it's a ton of work. And I'm certainly not there yet to be enough and to sort of say, this is a good life. And I'm, you know, doing my best. And it's one foot in front of the other. But I think that there's absolutely a detrimental side to expecting more, expecting more, raising the bar, um, and I think that, that I'm a product of that. I, you know, it's, again, it was no ill will for my parents. They sure. wanted a lot for me. They, sure. they saw that I was pretty talented at a, a lot of different things, but I think that this constant search for, you know, to be enough is, is one that I battle with myself every day. The constant yeah, search for just, excellence, right? Like this, this, this and, and so one of my mottos since I was in my early twenties was Kaizen. It's a Japanese word that stands for continuous ongoing improvement in all aspects of your life. I'm, I'm one that's never really settled. Uh, and I do have a very high standard against myself as well. I do have some of that self-talk that you're talking about in terms of be better and you can do better. And why did you do that? And all that other stuff. And, and I think that I, I did transfer some of that to my kids, but because we had a six and a half year difference between the oldest set and the, and the second oldest set or the mm-hmm. or younger two, you know, it's caused a, a, a point of, of reflection. And so this has been, it was funny. We just had this conversation. It, that was why it was top of mind. My oldest says, you know, we're much different parents to our two younger 
children than we were to the two oldest, including him. And so I was, <laughs> and, yeah. he, and he, and he, I said, bud, we're all just trying to, you know, do the best that we can. And I, th- I think that what you're hearing or what you're sensing or what you feel or what you see is our own evolution as parents and our own maturity as individuals going through life. You gain wisdom, you gain understanding, you go through a lot of experiences and some of the things that we thought were important maybe aren't as important. And so as you now have an opportunity to, you know, raise killed kids again or raise younger kids, you're, you're trying not to make some of those same decisions that you feel like right now or maybe weren't the best decisions in the first place. So anyway, it was just, I, 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 I had to take that time because I know that there's somebody listening that's a parent, somebody listening that's wrestling with these obligations or this idea of pressure or performance or whatever with their kids. And I, you know, I just say, be careful with that because, you know, mm-hmm. you, can t- you can turn somebody into somebody that's just a relentless pursuer of nothing but excellence, but always unhappy, always feeling, you know, less than, always feeling like they didn't hit the mark. And so that's the dangerous side of high expectations. Ultimately, what I had to come to the conclusion of is as a parent, all you ever want is your child's happiness. Right. How ironic would it be if because of your expectations, they aren't happy and are never happy because they never feel good enough? You know, that'd be a crazy situation. So anyway, uh, I had to dig into that. But back to your story. You're back living with your parents, you know, so I'll let you continue on there. I love that. And I'm I'm so glad, you know, you're very intuitive to pick up on that because I think that, you know, this this part of the story where I sort of moved back in with my parents and, and sort of said what's important ended up unexpectedly writing a book. So I wrote this book that's called Empowered, The Woman's Guide to Following Your Heart. And since I wrote that book, I've kind of been on this journey of... I of, to your point, progress, self-reflection, how can I help the world? What am I here to do? How can I serve? Like, I never intended to write a book. And so all of a sudden, I kind of had this book and I kind of had this idea for a company called The Empowered Woman. So long story, very short, I ended up going back to LA for a year and then left LA and came back to New York um, to support myself while I kind of pushed this book forward. I took a job in private equity with an executive assistant to support myself. So my point in all of this was that my life has changed a lot. I've been on the go. I've pretty much been single my whole life. I have had my freedom. I have, haven't really wanted a ton of responsibility. I'd love to pick up and go to London, go to France, go to Costa Rica. And so the challenging and kind of dark night of my life very much came, you know, following this time where I sort of had this book, had this vision for this company, you know, the mission and message of my company is to transform the world by awakening every woman to her best self. And I care deeply about men too. My message, you know, resonates with both. So I ended up finding myself in a situation where I was in New York in this private equity job. I had met my current boyfriend. um, And I sort of looked at the next step and kind of thought, you know what, I want to take a risk. I want to go for this company. So this was the end of 2018. Um, I decided, you know, very diplomatically, it was a good time to leave, um, the company. So kind of in one fell swoop, I left my corporate job, left the stable income, sort of left the you know, structure of what that is. I moved in with my boyfriend, which then meant I moved in with his two, we, we share custody with his ex-wife, but I moved in with two, I think they were four and one at the time, um, two very, very small boys. I was starting a company. I was, in a place where my life, you know, what I had known for probably 20 years, this kind of freedom and single life and kind of living for each day, not really planning everything was completely turned upside down. And I didn't really know that I was struggling, but I was deeply, I was just overwhelmed. And I didn't know how the woman that I had been just didn't have the tools and didn't have, 
the experience to handle all of these enormous changes and kind of lifestyles. And, you know, as everyone listening to this, you know, whether you're a parent or whether you're a spouse or just a friend or an employee, like life demands a lot from you. And, you know, kind of the bigger your life gets, the more you have to give. And so not not dissimilar or not unsimilar to really what everyone's been through in the last two years. Right. So taking your life and upending it where the normality of what you were doing day to day. And that's one of the reasons why I think your story is going to really resonate with a lot of people. What you're describing happened to you pre COVID, but a lot of people went through that same, Oh my gosh, what is going on? Life's upside down. Some people were fired. Some people resigned. Some people realized their ladder of success was reading against the leaning against the wrong wall. I mean, it was just like this upending of all norms to where you're going, where the heck am I? And that, I feel like that's what you're describing that you were going through, right? All of these huge, you know, fundamental changes in your life. All of a sudden now you're becoming a stepmom, and now you got this company. You never run a company before. Now you got this, you got people, you know, pulling at you, you wrote a book and you know, it just seems like, you know, all of the things that were normal now have been upended. And now you've got this whole new different life that you're dealing with. You're completely correct. You're exactly right. And it's funny, like, you know, a few of my friends, you know, have said, Jenny, it's almost like you went through this before COVID so that you could help people coming out of it. And, uh, you know, I, I am honored if, if that's the case, because there's nothing in this world I want to do more than help people. But I think the other part that in that particular stretch that I think everyone on every level relates to in COVID was the isolation. I think that I was overwhelmed and I was, you know, as you said, building my own company. It was all a very internal and very personal struggle. And I think in COVID, you know, a lot of our connection to people. I mean, I walk down the street, you know, in New York City, no one looks at each other anymore. People stay apart. It's it's a very it was a very isolating experience. And I think that's primarily what I felt in this particular, you know, the beginning of 2019, particularly what I felt. So I was but I but the bottom line was I didn't know how to ask for help. And honestly, you know, to loop back to my original point, like as a person striving for perfection, as a person whose standards are possibly high, like I never let myself say like, I'm not okay. Or like, I didn't know that it was okay to not be okay. And so I kind of suppressed and repressed and pushed all my overwhelm and my fear of like, you know, do I want to be a stepmom? Like, I love this man, but maybe this isn't the right life for me. Like, it was just a very quiet struggle. And, you know, I very quietly, you could see on the outside, I lost, I'm pretty thin to begin with. And I lost about 15 pounds. Like, I looked very unhealthy. But similarly, you know, I just don't think our society is wired for the discussion around like, Hey, I need help. And there's nothing wrong with yeah. me. But, you know, and my, fr- my friends didn't even really like know how to say, Jenny, are you okay? Like you look really thin or you look stressed. Like there was just, it, it was very apparent yet. I wasn't comfortable or confident enough to sort of speak up about it. And I think people, we don't know that language of how to sort of reach out to someone and say like, without it being judgmental, like, wow, you look like you're going through a hard time or like, are you okay? So again, without making this, days and days of a story. Um, it all sort of came to a head. I was out with my friends. It was, I think it was May 22nd of, um, 2019. I was out with my girlfriends, um, on a rooftop bar, having a few drinks. Um, I had run into a guy that had been a friend of mine and he sort of asked me how I was doing. And I just had this moment where I remember vividly sitting at the head of this table. And I just knew in my heart that like the life that I was living wasn't, wasn't making me happy and it was terrifying to me and now most people think this story then goes with oh and then I you know got help and whatever but unfortunately like 
rather than kind of feeling that emotion or feeling that fear, I ended up having about probably 10 glasses of wine. I hadn't eaten dinner. We went to a club. I ended up leaving quite drunk. Um, I walk out of the club down in the meatpacking district. I, I'm a woman who loves heels. I was wearing five-inch heels, and I caught my heel on a cobblestone. I fell and I broke my nose. And that moment has forever changed the trajectory of my life. It has, I mean, in that moment, my perfectionism was shattered. You know, my, I'm good, I'm safe, I'm, you know, I became the cliche. I'm the girl that fell drunk. I'm the girl that, you know, made this mistake. I'm the girl that, you know, robbed myself of my beauty. And my entire world unraveled. So I got up, I, there was blood everywhere. I knew it was bad, but I was so full of shame and fear and embarrassment that, you know, as the security guards did not want liability. So rather than help me, they sort of threw me in a cab with my friend and tried to get me out of there. And I, you know, my friend was like, I think it's pretty bad, Jenny. I think you should go to the hospital. And I was just, I was so terrified and I wanted to hide. I was like, no, I'm going to will this to be okay. Anyways, I went home, fell asleep, woke up in the morning with this sheer panic of, I looked in the mirror, I had two black eyes and my nose was swollen and, you know, I love your platform, Sean, because like for me to share this story is 100% the truth. You would think that I then went to a hospital and got some help. But like instead, I was leaving for Paris that day with my boyfriend. I, you know, covered up the bruises and the marks with a bunch of makeup, you know, got on that plane. He's sort of like, are you OK? And I was like, I'm fine. I just I even in my moment of falling and like it's, a, you know, it's a metaphorical fall as much as a physical fall. Like I still was not okay saying I need help. Like it was, there was a mark on my face showing me that I was struggling, but like, I felt like I was a failure and I felt like, you know, so the next few months unfolded, I was devastated. I fell into a dark depression. I went to, you know, a few months later went. Let me, let me ask you a question here, just because I I want to make sure everyone's following along and I, and I want to unpack it a bit more because I think that there's some, some real good, you know, current societal judgment, reflection, body image, you know, stuff that we can, we can unpack just for a moment. So, you know, I, I guess when you think about it, you broke your nose and that you said it, it shattered your world literally. So describe mm-hmm. to us as, as a female, as a woman, like you felt like, I know offline you said that, you know, you, your, your looks were part of the essence of who you are, which they are, but like for you, it was like, it was almost like even more devastating. Is that because, you know, so help us to understand that mindset for you at the time, because I think that a lot of people can maybe relate with judgment, social media, how they look, perceive life, all that kind of stuff. So unpack that a bit more for us. Of course. Um, so for me, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but I think that so much of my self-worth and so much of my value, I connected to my beauty. I'm someone, I'm about five nine. I've modeled in the past one would say, quote unquote, attractive. But, you know, I didn't grow up with any of that. Like I was a late bloomer. I was, you know, boys didn't pay attention to me. I think I was a senior in high school. Like it was very interesting and eye-opening for me that that's how I felt when I fell because I didn't grow up with any value on my beauty. Like I got no attention. I was like the athlete and, you know, someone who was smart. And then all of a sudden in this moment when my entire sense of self fell apart because I had broken my nose and because I had this reminder in the middle of my face of my imperfection, I can be very honest with you that that was what almost three years ago. And I have not felt beautiful in the same way since then. And, and that's, 
kind of heartbreaking to admit, you know, everyone in my family is like, Jenny, you look exactly the same. Your nose maybe looks better than it did, you know, like, but it doesn't matter. The outside world to me, it's a reminder of it's, it's a very deep reminder of whatever it is. My, you know, lack of perfectionism, mistakes, but also to your point that like, I'm no longer perfect on my face, right? I have a little scar on my nose that reminds me of a time when like I wasn't okay. And I think that, Exactly to your point, we spend all of our time now filtering and we, no one will, I'm the first one to admit it. Like I am on Instagram. I'm the first one to filter this or shade this or light this differently. Like none of us go on as our real selves. And so I think that we've created this culture where we are afraid to be seen as our real selves. And so for me to like step forward into the world with this, I mean, it's not lost on me that this was in the middle of my face. It's not like, well, I broke my arm or I kind of scratched my arm. Like, this is something I still have to see every day. And so I think that, you know, we all go through experiences where I think our identity, we might not know what our identity is at the time, but I think, you know, my identity was, I'm beautiful and that's my value and that's why I'm going to succeed in the world. And that's why my company is going to be successful. And like, I've been incredibly humbled to, to realize that that's not the case. And if that's the case, then like, you know, I often think I like aged in this moment because I feel like, you know, as women get older and the expectation for us to always look young and the Botox and the fillers. And again, this image on social media of not being your real self. I think that that facade, I lost it that night. And, you know, I've never sort of regained that confidence in my look again, but it's, it's all emotional, right? Because yeah. the outside world is telling me like, Jenny, you look exactly the same, you know, but I can't see it. And so I think that like our self image and again, for men too, whether the expectation of you have to be in shape, you have to be six, seven, you have to be whatever, like you can't go bald, you can't go gray. Like yeah. it's this, this focus on the physical that I think, you know, is, is just for me, it's a reminder every day when, you know, people send me pictures from nights out and they're sending me a picture of me filtered. And I'm like, these are my friends. <laughs> I'm like, did you not think I looked good? Like just by myself? Like it's a filter culture. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, that applies to what are we, what else are we filtering? You know, what other emotions or pain or truths or uncertainties or fears, you know, we're just, we're hiding our true selves. Think of it as masking. You know, it's it's in some degree Absolutely. masking. What, what else are we masking, right? And so, you know, as you recounted your story, I was I was imagining, you know, your upbringing in in high expectations and never feeling good enough, etc. You know, your looks are the one thing that you can't control. And like, if you if you're good looking. Like, you know, I could see like some self-talk going, well, at least I have that going for me. At least I have that going for me because I don't, I feel less than in some of these other areas of my life. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I don't have this. I don't have that. But, you know, at least I'm, I'm, you know, suffice it to say, decent looking, good looking, maybe attractive, maybe whatever, however, you know, all subjective, but you know, people, people say that I I've said that to myself as well. And so Mm -hmm. when something happens that then takes that away. It's like, sure. it's almost like that's a security blanket to some degree, you know, because like you've, at least I got that going for me, but now that's not even going for me. And I got all these other challenges that I don't know how to face. And so, you know, I, I'm just trying to contextually give people an idea of the, of where you were the moment, because it gets worse, you know, yeah. it, it does get dramatically worse for you that this is an event that then cascades kind of a, a downward spiral for you. So I'll let you pick up uh, where you left off. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, again, I'm, 
I'm love sharing all parts of my story. I, I am one who can sometimes tell very long stories, so I'm trying to <laughs> not make it so. Inter, so my interrupts at any point, like I'm here to share and to, to sort of get to the depths of it. So I, I love this back and forth. And um, I'm not, I'm not ready that, to pull yeah. you off the stage yet. So the, the, you know, there, there's there's no there's no nobody's showing you off the stage. So you keep going. I love it. So you know, in that moment, I just think that. I, I, it was, it was eye opening to me that it was like, okay, this is a struggle. So I tried to, you know, go get my, I went to finally went to the doctor and sort of was like, I'd like to get my nose fixed. They told me, sorry, you know, with noses, you have to do it either within the first, I don't know, 14 days or months or otherwise you have to wait six months to a year. Cause then they have to rebreak it. Anyways, exactly to your point, another thing that completely felt out of my control. And so when they told me, I'm sorry, Jenny, like we can't fix this. We can't fix this thing that you can't control. I fell in, you know, I mentioned I was depressed. I fell into the darkest depression. I did not leave my apartment. I wanted to sleep all day. I felt suicidal. I felt like it's, and I can say to you and to the audience listening, like, I'm not someone who thought I put any value on my looks. Like, I, I enjoyed being attractive, but it came so late in life that, like, I was astounded that it mattered so much to me that, like, my nose, all of a sudden, my entire life fell apart. And so, what ended up happening is I was a very, very dark depression. I did not want to live. I, as I said, I felt suicidal and I felt completely overwhelmed and didn't know where to go for help. And now living in New York city and also, you know, living in parts of the world, like therapy can be very expensive. And I was, you know, an entrepreneur. I didn't have a stable job. I had been struggling for months. Um, I couldn't, you know, I went to try to get a therapist here. I, couldn't afford $400 for 45 minutes. Like that was just the reality. And so that then compounded the situation where I felt like I needed help, but I couldn't get help. And so this was not a thought out plan, but sort of looking back on it, I think I ended up, I mean, my family was very concerned and I ended up um, going into New York Presbyterian, which is a hospital in New York, walking in, you know, my family had mentioned they have a good mental health clinic. They'll can kind of help you and whatever. I ended up walking in, um, mentioning, you know, kind of what I was feeling 20 minutes later, I was completely locked up. They had taken all my things. They'd taken my phone, taken, I was in scrubs. I was in like a holding cell and all of a sudden became on this path of like a mental hospital, like inmate basically. And that journey as well has forever changed me. I mean, to go from Jenny Powers, who was like, the star athlete and the lead in the musical and all this stuff. And now I'm literally locked up. I have no control over my life. I have no food, no water. No one knows where I am. I'm now being controlled by these people I've never met. Like it was horrifying. And so, you know, that and, and experience. I was just going to, I was going to say, you know, for, for somebody that's never been through something like that, that had to have been terrifying for you, like completely upended terrifying for you with no perspective on on how you got there really because all you needed was help all all you wanted was help all you (laughs) literally that's you know and i think that's part of the problem today is is, with mental stigma stigma is that you know mental health issues people i I think the biggest issue is people don't know how to help so it makes them uncomfortable makes it awkward makes it whatever they just don't know how to help And I think in that type of a situation, you know, here you are, you finally are in a situation where you ask for help and now you're in a, in a hospital, a mental hospital. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the shame, I mean, the shame, exactly your point, the stigma. I mean, I I think I mentioned offline, but you know, I went to lunch the other day with a good friend of mine and she said, well, you know, 
I was saying that I was still healing from that label of what it is, you know, to have that experience and to go to a mental hospital. And she said, you know, not meaning anything by it, but she said, you know, Jenny, well, once you go to a mental hospital, like people never forget that. And it really stuck with me in the sense of like, well, now I'm forever tarnished. And now I'm someone who is quote unquote, that person. And I think it was terrifying. I mean, I got there and all of a sudden it was like, wait, I'm sorry. I, I didn't do anything wrong. Like I didn't kill someone. I, I, I'm not like, you know, doing drugs. Like it was just a very clear, like I am struggling emotionally. And I think I have such an interesting feeling around the words and language of mental hospital and mental illness, because so much for me was like, I felt like I needed like an emotional hospital and like, it wasn't an emotional illness, but like, you know, I had a psychiatrist who ended up, you know, helping me sort of towards the end of my journey. And she's like, I don't think you have a mental illness. I think you have emotional wounds. And like, it just, it was such a freeing moment for me to be like, you know, and I, again, it's a very delicate subject. I support, you know, everyone's belief around mental illness, whatever you believe to be true. I 100% support because I know it's a delicate issue. But for me, I was literally sitting in this holding cell, like they wouldn't, you know, and, and I was struggling. And then I was like, I'd really like to go home. Like, I don't think this is what I thought it was going to be. Like, I'd like to get my stuff. I'd like to go home. I think there's a better, you know, avenue for me to get help. Like, I did not know what I was walking myself into. And they were like, absolutely not back. And no one would talk to me. They ended up keeping me overnight with like a group of, I was the only girl, a group of men that were like, very angry, very violent, punching walls, throwing things, yelling the whole night, literally no food, no water. I'd ask the security guard, can I get, like, it was, it was the most shocking, you know, 12 hours of my life to all of a sudden be like, I needed help. And now I'm like, I'm like a prisoner. Like I've done something wrong. And so what I learned in that situation was that having emotional issues or having mental struggles, you're wrong. There's something wrong with you. We're going to lock you up for that. And I just, I shut down in a way of survival. It was like, how am I going to get through this night? Like, how am I going to, and I hadn't been sleeping very well prior to that. I mean, and then, you know, the journey starts with, we'll give you these four drugs and these four drugs and these four drugs. And I think I said this, it was like, I needed a hug, not a drug. (laughs) And it was, you know, I think that's a, a slippery slope. Again, I support all people that antidepressants work. I'm wholeheartedly on board with whatever is, it's a personal journey, but you know, I then felt numb. It was like, well, we're going to give you these three things to sleep. And then it was just, I became on this path of, I lost all my self-confidence. I lost all my self-worth. I was locked up by other people. I was 42 years old and had zero control. I ended up, you know, and then you're in this, you know, for anyone listening, you know, everyone has a different journey. For me, I was then in this battle to try to get out of the mental hospital. But they like, you know, they give you this diagnosis and that diagnosis. And like, I just needed someone to talk to me about like, yo, like uh, I'm overwhelmed in my life. Like there's a lot of change. I'm starting a company. Like I'm struggling. Like I now have kids. Like it was just the label. Um, and you know, as I just said, it's a label that like a very close friend of mine still sees me as. So I think that for anyone out there that, you know, wanting help, I understand the fear and asking for it because I asked for it. And this is the experience. That I went through and it didn't just end there. Like I was in that mental hospital, I think, you know, for the first time, I don't know, five or six days, like the worst five days of my life. Like, can I please go home? Can I please get out? No, you have this, 
borderline personality. I'm like, you just met me. Like, how do you know? And I think, you know, I didn't realize how traumatic the fall had been for me. I didn't realize like, as we've talked about my shat, the shattering of my identity, like, you know, the, the shattering of what I thought my value was, what I think I bring to this world, like what makes me worthy. And I think that, that a lot of that was the sort of post-traumatic stress disorder where it was like, I needed to talk about that. But then I was on this path of, you know, well, now you're on the mental hospital system and you're here and you have to stay a certain number of days and you have to have these drugs and you have to try this drug. And then, you know, I sort of stayed and then sort of, I would be very honest, kind of faked my way out of it. I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm fine. I'm better. I'll take the medication. I came home and I was just, I was so traumatized from that. I was just unraveling and I ended up going back to the mental hospital four different times. I had ECT, which is, you know, the kind of the very not supportive is frying your brain. It's like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I mean, for me, the woman I had been to be telling this story, to be going through this, to be saying, I'm now someone who's doing this ECT, which just is this, you know, old school, but now more experimental, um, you know, way to heal the energy in your brain and cure depression and all of this stuff. It was the loneliest experience of my life. And, you know, my family's worried. My friends can't get in touch with me. You know, I have no phone off and on for four months. And it just was um, heartbreaking, you know? And, and so I, I relate to people that have had that experience and I know what that is, but I also relate to people who are afraid to ask for help because I, I know how lacking our system is, I think, in providing support rather than punishment when you struggle. No, I 100% agree with you. And I've mused about this before, and I've had offline discussions and online discussions with prior guests before. And I I think that, you know, to me, I'm a huge, huge advocate of talk therapy. I'm a huge advocate of getting counseling, you know. And I think Mm post-COVID, people are much more, going back to the cost of it, like what you said, I think post-COVID, people are much more, um, receptive and okay with a Zoom version of that. So m- maybe a right. maybe a therapist in Midwest Nebraska would be a lot less expensive than one in New York online, yeah. right? But like I, 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 you know, we're not given a rule book. Like, how does Jenny Powers work? How does Sean Davis work? Right. right? Yeah. And so we don't know why, you know, like I went through therapy, uh, individual counseling therapy for about six years. And I remember about four years in, like just an average session, just getting together to talk. He asked me a question. And there was like this little eight-year-old boy in me that just that shattered boy, like you're talking about, like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I just started sobbing. Like that emotion came out of nowhere. And I'm like, whoa, this, you know, here I am 45 and all of a sudden I'm feeling all these emotions as a, as an eight-year-old kid. Well, it took that long before I could unpack that, unravel what was going on with me that I'd stuffed it, stuffed it, stuffed it, you know? And I think to me that the biggest thing that we could do with, with mental health is, is make more counseling options available. You know, I think it should be a prerequisite to graduating high school that you go through counseling and, you know, prerequisite that you graduate with college, that people are indoctrinated to the idea that it is healthy, beneficial, and for you, it's good for you to talk to somebody about what's going on in your life, about your emotions, about your feelings, about what you're dealing with, etc., without it getting to the point where, you know, like, you, like you're talking about, an event causes a complete shattering of your self-esteem, self-worth, and everything that you thought you were, you know? And so that, that's really what I feel like you described. Yeah, and I think that, as I said, I think the first thing I said when we sort of started talking is that, you know, I never thought this would be my story. And so yeah. as I 
you know, kind of build my company, my, the trajectory's completely changed and my desire, you know, at getting on this podcast. I mean, I've been on podcasts previously and it was, oh, I'm building this company to empower women. And so we're strong and confident and we're, you know, badasses and we can do it all, whatever. And it's like, that's no longer, you know, kind of how I see the world for me. It's, you know, how can we get through our darkest times? Like, how can we fight through that moment? How can we, when darkness surrounds us, how can we believe in the light and how can we be the light for each other? Well, according to, go ahead you go ahead and finish. Sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, I just felt like that was a perfect opportunity to segue. You know, I wanted to ask the question, here you are, you're speaking eloquently, you're, 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 like you're blowing me away with some of your perspective and some of the knowledge you've gained. I guess the, the, the question was like how there's somebody listening right now that is dealing with their own version of shattering male, female, whatever, you know, like they're dealing with that. And so how did you begin to rise out of that? How did you take the reins back of controlling your life and, and get to the point where you're at now? It's a great question. And it's a question that I think I'm learning the answer, you know, sort of learning it more and more every day. I think, you know, my first instinct is like, I just, I wouldn't give up. And it's crazy for me to say that because like when you are suicidal and you don't want to live and you have thoughts of like, I'm someone who previously like loved life. I believe in like the sparkle, the magic, everything happens for a reason. Like let's go travel the world and like jump off cliffs. And all of a sudden you have a woman who lived that life for 20 years. And now I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. I really don't want to live. And so I think there was something deep, deep inside of me that just didn't give up. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't enjoyable. It was traumatic. It was painful, but I just, I wasn't, you know, I, I often thought like, wow, I don't think I have the courage to end my life. And I, and I say that like very vulnerably, like, you know, a lot of people do. And I don't necessarily think for me, it just wasn't the right step. And, and I certainly, again, suicide and all that stuff is sensitive. I, I have so much compassion for people that have gone through it, whose families have gone through it. Like I've lived the life of what those feelings are and it's dark. And I think I just kept going. Like, I really think I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. I kept showing up in the moment. Half the time I didn't have the choice, right? I didn't want to be in the mental hospital. I had to, you know, write my name on a list to request 15 minutes to be able to go outside. I'm someone who loves to be outside. I run, you know, an hour a day and here I am like begging people to let me outside for 15 minutes. Like it, it really felt like jail. Yeah. And I think that my strength was just not giving up. I, I was not giving yeah, up. And it was, it was, and then I think we, we talked about this. There was a moment like, you know, and, and that's the other thing about my story. Like it, it's not, it's not like some, oh, and then I had this huge epiphany and then the world, you know, things were good again. Like for me, it's still daily work. It's daily work to fight back from that time and to recover my sense of self and to regain my confidence. And I think that there was a, a day where I just remember, you know, when you're in that situation, everyone controls your life. The doctors, the nurses, my family could call and say, you know what, you can't let her go. Like you lose all power, you lose all control. You, you literally lose all of your decision-making power over your own life. And it's the strangest, most terrifying experience. But I remember saying to myself, they kept telling me, you know, I'd done this ECT on, you know, the electric shock waves. And they said, you will forever be on lithium. And I can't remember another drug, but you know, I've been on 
15 different medications. They put me on this one. They took me off this one. It was, that was another thing that really made my journey so challenging with my body. I'm someone who doesn't even take Advil or Aleve. And all of a sudden I'm on all these drugs being pumped through my system thinking that's going to quote unquote cure me when it was like, as I said, emotional wounding that I needed to talk about. So there was a moment where I just remember quietly making a decision to myself. Like I'm only going to listen to myself. Like whatever I want to do, I sort of put distance between me and my family. I, you know, kind of quietly said, I'm going to do this on my own terms. I'm going to, and I think it's just enough. I had I'd also been in a mental hospital four different times. So as painful as it was, I had had a chance to talk about things. Like I had talked about the stress of starting my own company. I was in a, you know, I was in a group of people, you know, at first I was in a group of floor with like 18 year olds who were like drug addicts. And I was like, these are, these are, this is how they see me. Like, this is the people that I'm now like living my life with. And quietly I sort of got into the right group of people like me, people like wall street guys who, you know, lost their job and completely had a meltdown, like women who had lost a child. And like all of a sudden I was spending my days in these, group, you know, therapy, that's all you do in mental hospital, you go to sessions all day and you eat, that's all, there's nothing else to do. And so I got enough of an opportunity, I think, unexpectedly to kind of talk through my story and feel like I wasn't alone and to have people that I related to to sort of say like, I'm not the only one struggling. And so I think that that sense of connection and community, as I spoke about before, like the isolation in my struggle. And I think that that's so much of what people are still going through and went through in COVID was we're all disconnected from each other. And I think when I had a chance to get around people and to not struggle alone, albeit in what felt like a prison, I had a little bit of a chance to heal. And so I remember, you know, one morning I was kind of eating breakfast and, and let me tell you, these are like very bare living. I mean, these are, you know, a single uncomfortable bed. The showers are like barely warm. I mean, this is a very, very challenging way of life. And I looked out the window and I could like see light differently. Like the sun was coming through the window and I just, I remember, and I just got chills. Like it's so fitting for your podcast on because it was hope. There was something like the light in that moment. I don't know. I'm spiritual. I don't know. You know, I sort of quite honestly lost my faith in my spirituality because of, you know, you know, universe, how could you let this happen to me? How could you want me to go through this? Like, how could you not protect me? So but it was a moment and I sort of thought, I don't know, I see the, I see life differently in this one moment. And I, you know, kind of felt like I was in a better place. I think the doctors saw that I had kind of done the work and I had this sense of self back a little bit. And I had, you know, ended up, didn't speak to my family about it, didn't speak to anyone about it, just sort of said, I'm deciding to leave now. And the doctors agreed and, you know, sort of took an Uber home and they were like, you know, here's the seven medications you're going to be on for the rest of your life. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, and I knew, I knew Sean, I had made the decision there that I was like, I am not going to be on medication for the rest of my life. I don't know what I have to do, but I'm, this is not going to be my journey and I'm going to find a way to like, and again, I have no judgment on medication, but for me, it was important to me. And I took an Uber home and no one knew I was home. It was my own, experience. I didn't want the pressure. I didn't want people like, Oh, are you okay? Do you need to go back? Like it had been such a painful and vulnerable journey that I needed to kind of do it for myself. And I, you know, sort of took a couple days, got settled back in my apartment, like didn't take the medication, knew that was the right decision for me. And then I don't know, like I kind of just 
each day got a little bit better. I was and just going to interject and say, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is the old adage, you know, you hear from your grandma or a great grandma or whatever, they sit you down on the lap, they, you know, time heals all wounds. You know, it's kind of one of those mm-hmm. stories that you're told and, and you go through. And I think time is a, is a component of that. But, you know, as we close out the show, I want I want to do uh, – two things. I want to acknowledge, first of all, you know, the reason that I do this show is, is to help others with that spark of hope. What you described was a spark of hope. And as soon as that's mm-hmm. that hope sparks, like your whole world changes. If you have no, mm-hmm. if it's hopeless, if you are hopeless, and then you contrast that with having just a little bit of hope that, that somehow your life is going to be different, better than where it is right now, it makes all the difference in the world. It's like a thousand percent better difference. And that's kind of what you're describing, that ray of sun, that just that moment where the universe, I call it God, where you're just touched and all of a sudden you have this revelation, this this feeling inside that it's going to it's gonna be okay, that things can be better from here. That is so powerful. And I try to use stories like yours to help others spark that for themselves. So in that vein, as we close out the show, You've been a phenomenal guest, by the way. Um, as we close out the show, I'd, I'd like you to put yourself in that position again. I know it's going to be difficult, but mm-hmm. put yourself in that position of being yeah. shattered, being uncomfortable, being uh, you know just completely unaware of how things are going to work out for you. And imagine that somebody right now is listening. They're in that situation, okay? Knowing what you know now, going through what you've been through now, what would you say to them? What, what would you say to encourage them and or give them hope that – they too can see the fruits of what you've seen, which is a better life, a, a rebounded life, a life filled with hope. What would you say to them? I would say you're not alone, primarily. You're not alone. Not only are you cared for and supported, you're not the only one going through what you're going through. And it feels like it because we all know our own pain. And as we said before, we don't share pain in society. No one goes on Instagram and says, oh, I had a really crappy day and I feel depressed and you know people are like oh I'm amazing but not you know no one's amazing every day and so number one I would say you're not alone number two I would say ask for help and I'm I'm serious anyone listening to this I'm on Instagram at Jenny Empowered you want to DM me you want to reach out I'm happy to have a conversation I'm happy to talk things through like it for me it's so simple like healing can start with one conversation and one person you know I think my friends say like I made it okay to not be okay and not that I wish that to be my life story, but if that's where I am, then it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to struggle, but don't feel like you have to go through it alone. And no. as I've said, there's a challenge in where to get help and how to get help, but, but ask and talk and you're loved and you're supported and your struggles or your pain or your fears or your uncertainty, they're not your fault. It doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make you damaged. And the third thing I will say is, if you, if you just keep going, I promise you it will get better. It doesn't feel like it. I know it, but there will come a moment when the light shines differently through the window and you see it. And as I said, I just celebrated my 45th birthday and I'm happier than I've ever been. And it's been a ton, a ton of work. It's been a ton of commitment. It has been so many tears and so much vulnerability and healing shame and guilt and fear and the labels and the stigma. But you are on the right path and your journey, you know, is taking you through this dark time because it'll give you the ability to see the light and the strength and the courage that you have to go through it. Like, just know that you will get through it. And again, if I can help in any way with anyone, like I am, I am here and I am through it. I, I, again, I still have challenging days, but kind of the darkest hour, the dark night of my soul or whatever, 
like I know that feeling and I know that it will end. And I know that there's the brightest, you know, most inspiring, most fulfilling light on the other side. And so just don't give up, you know, surround yourself with people that, that can help you tell your story, have the, the, the courage and the vulnerability to share the truth of your emotions and know that like, you you will get through it and and a brilliant life awaits you oh well said my friend well said and once again if you want to connect with jenny you can do so on her instagram jenny empowered e-m-p-o-w-e-r-e-d and you can also pick up her book empowered the woman's guide to following your heart is that available on amazon digital copies how do people get that book it's both. It's on Kindle and it's on Amazon. So, um, yeah, it's a simple read. It's, it's like a guidebook. Hopefully, you know, you can read a page at a time and, and maybe the, the book will provide some light too. But um, you're seen and you're understood and um, you will get through it. And so keep the hope. Yes. Thank you for being such a phenomenal hope dealer for us, Jenny. You've been awesome on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure and a gift. And I'm uh, thrilled to to share this journey with you, Sean, and, and thanks for having me on. Well, it was sincerely our pleasure to have you on, and I want to encourage everybody right now, if you haven't done so already, pick up her book. It's called Empowered, The Woman's Guide to Following Your Heart, and better yet, maybe follow her on Instagram. She encouraged you to reach out. If you need some help, if you want somebody to talk to, if her story resonated with you, Reach out to her. She's on uh, Instagram at Jenny Empowered, E-M-P-O-W-E-R-E-D, Jenny Empowered on Instagram. And so connect with her there. And I just want to say thank you once again to her. And I want to encourage anybody that's listening, keep moving forward. One foot in front of the other. You got this. That spark of hope is all you need. And I hope that you got it in today's broadcast of the Hope Radio Podcast. That's it for me. My name's Sean. I am out. 